The rest of you can open up to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. So there's an expression that says, give blood, play hockey. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? Yeah, I believe that works for broomball as well. Uh, we did a little broomball last night. The uh, youth group came, and as a driver, I got roped in. Fortunately, the only two I saw bleeding were my daughter and one of the elder's sons. So no lawsuits here yet so far. We're, we're happy about that. So if all the youth look like they're walking like aged old people, that's the reason. Just by nature of personality and by the calling that God has put on my life, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. I have a lot of people that I just know. And many, many of them, as I kind of thought back over my life, many of them fall into this category of ex-churchgoer. They were churchgoers, maybe even church members at one point, and they are now in this camp of ex-churchgoer for whatever reason. I thought about some of the reasons, and, and I thought about the fact that you probably have people in this camp too. I'm talking to a group of people that, at least on this Sunday morning, are sitting in church. But as you think about your network of friends and relatives and people that you know and care about, you probably too have have people in your life who are ex-churchgoers. Someone got their feelings hurt. Maybe there were no opportunities to serve, and so they went to another church, and there were no opportunities to serve, and so they went to another church, and eventually they just kind of gave up. Another camp is those who are serving in so many ways that they eventually become resentful of those not helping them out. And so they burn out. And they just stop going altogether. And then there's a whole other segment of people who, frankly, worldliness just grabbed them. Sin grabbed them. And pretty soon, they couldn't stomach sitting in a church hearing biblical content being talked to them and taught. And so they either slowly faded away or just stopped coming altogether. Ex-churchgoers. You know, you could start a whole new church with just these people. In fact, many people do this. I've seen churches advertised as for those who who, you know, hate church, right? I mean, so you start a church with with people who are in that camp. And that's a legitimate ministry. People who've just been burned, um, sometimes by their own sin, sometimes by the sin, the outright sin of leadership within a church, and sometimes just by some misunderstanding. No matter what the reason is that people leave a church or burn out, I think this one word is kind of a common factor in all of it. Disillusionment. Disillusionment is that word which includes feelings of disappointment, being let down, having this sense that this should be really, really good, and then coming up close to the the actual thing and being let down and disillusioned by it when it doesn't measure up to real life. You know, those in the church and those thinking about whether you go to church or don't go to church don't have a corner on the market to disillusionment, right? When you think about sin, all sin follows this formula right here. You take sin plus enough time and it equals disillusionment. Ask someone who's had an affair. Ask anyone who's had an affair. They say, man, at the time for a season, it seemed like a great thing. Enough time goes by and they go, man, I rue the day I ever left that woman, left that man for this other person. Sin has this way of of creating disillusionment as well. So here's what I want to tackle this morning is this. What has God provided so that I won't be just another church statistic? Has God given us something so we won't be church dropouts in 2016 or by the year 2020? What has God given to us so that we don't go that route? Can I battle against the disillusionment and burnout that so many Christians experience. You know, last week we looked at this idea of getting together. 
It was about unity in the church and understanding that that's a big part of our worship. We looked at the many reasons why striving for oneness instead of setting, settling for equality is what God's ideal is as a church. Today is about staying together. Now, if you've ever landed a new job or moved to a new place or dated someone for more than a month, you understand this principle, that it's harder staying than starting. It's always harder staying at something than starting something. There's a freshness, there's a newness to starting. You're, you're filled with, well, maybe this time it'll be different. And the staying at some point on that job, in that neighborhood, in that relationship becomes difficult. We're in this series called Church is God's Idea. So what does God have in mind when it comes to church? What is he thinking that we should be doing? And how do we align ourselves so that we're not battling against how God has set up the whole thing, but instead participating with it? In the spirit of Ephesians 5.10, we are trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord when it comes to church. And friends, I really view this as a community effort. There's often on Sunday one person talking. Thursday, we talked about this idea of unity and getting together and what that would look like. And it took a group of men to be sitting there thinking and digesting and wrestling through this. How does this flesh out in real everyday life? So as we together are trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord when it talks about the church, you're invited into this process. I realize that joining a church, belonging to a church is dangerous. There's so many pitfalls that can be there. You may be wondering, can't we just date indefinitely? Why do I need to join a church officially? Well, we're going to look into some of that today. You know, part of growing up is making commitments, right? You're choosing between this school and that school, this spouse and that spouse, this job and that job. It's just part of your development as a human being is making a difficult decision, choosing to commit. Think about your spiritual development for a moment. I want to put out to you that you're making a commitment. You're making a difficult decision of saying, do I commit to this or not, is actually a fundamental part of your spiritual development. Much in the same way that a, that a preteen and then a teen and then a young adult is beginning to make commitments, choices that they then will live out and flesh out. You know, it's possible to read this book and come to Christ and have this picture of sort of the ideal. Isn't it? I mean, we, we do that. We read the scriptures. We go, man, that is such a beautiful picture. That's the ideal. And it's, it's sometimes possible for people to want to kind of stay there in the, in the ideal and not flush them out. But the Bible knows nothing of this. The local church is the way that we take abstract ideas and we make them really, really concrete. Let me show you an example. This is a picture of the church. When you read about the scriptures, you see these individual grapes all connected to the vine, all there restfully, all there beautiful, lots of fruit, it's peaceful. (sighs) Right? Now, let me show you a picture of your church. This is a picture of your church. No matter which church you regularly attend, if it's this one or some other one, you can make out the grapes and the vine and the beauty, sort of. Right? I mean, you have to stare at it. You have to kind of know what the ideal picture is and what you're looking at. But but the reality is that the ideal never measures up to the reality. All that we know that the church can be isn't what the church currently is. 
Do you know the Bible tells us this is the case? 1 Corinthians 13, 12 is in your notes. Now we see things imperfectly. Catch this. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, there's coming a day when something's going to change, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. That's a really reassuring verse. Let me say this. If you are struggling with the imperfections of your local church, praise God. Praise God for that. Here's my advice to you. Keep struggling. Keep struggling with it. Because the the alternative is to stop struggling. That leads to apathy. Well, this is just the way it's always going to be. I can read in the scriptures how it should be, but this is just how it is. And just stop trying altogether or stop caring. Don't settle and don't despair. The local church is the way we take uh, the abstract truths of how the church should be and try to actually live them out in a concrete way. When you think about concrete thinkers and abstract thinkers, concrete thinking is literal thinking that is focused on the physical world. It's the opposite of abstract thinking. People engaged in concrete thinking are thinking about facts in the here and now, physical objects and literal definitions. There's a fun thing that God likes to do. He seems to like to take uh, the more abstract thinkers and the more concrete thinkers and make them attracted to each other. Have you noticed that? And then guess what happens? There's great potential for conflict in the coming days, right? Now, the positive statement of that is there's great potential for a more robust way of thinking and doing life and running a household and, and moving forward and things when you have that. But you can really have people butt up against when they're like that. Here's sort of an illustration of what I'm talking about with the ideal versus the reality. Uh, we would all ascribe to this fact that we should love the whole world, right? Every beauty contestant who's ever won has, has, has professed her undying vow to love the whole world, right? Peace and unity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, most people would be like, yes, that's an ideal. Loving the whole world is different than loving your neighbor, right? That's starting to zoom in and like be a little bit more concrete, right? You all have actual neighbors. It's funny because Christians can take love your neighbor and make that a really abstract thing. I never think about their actual neighbor. I think Jesus knew this, and so he told the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is told uh, to some people who were looking to justify themselves, right? What was the question? Who is my neighbor? And the author gives us the little tidbit that he was looking to justify himself. Surely we can't love everyone, Jesus. Come on. Let's get real. Who's my neighbor? Jesus goes on to tell a story that the neighbor is the person who came across the hurting person and acted neighborly towards them. That's who your neighbor is. It's whoever comes across your path and you act neighborly toward them. Now, how did he act neighborly toward them? In just some ethereal, abstract, he just loved him. He just loved on him. He just shared life together. What does that mean? Here's what he did. He saw him. But that's no different than the other people who saw him and did what? They crossed, right, and went on their way. He saw him. He went to him, right? He began to tend to his physical, literal, here and now needs, right? At great personal cost, he ensured that this person would be taken care of. And all of a sudden, we have concrete, actual Many love the hurting, that's abstract, without comforting someone who is hurt. That's concrete. Or people care for the lonely, I care for the lonely, that's abstract. 
without ever greeting a person who is alone. Do you know you have an opportunity every Sunday morning to care for the lonely, potentially? Come in here and find someone sitting alone. Go greet them. Many people love the idea of community. That's really abstract, without actually living in community in a concrete way. The church is a greenhouse for taking abstract faith and living it out concretely, like actually fleshing it out. I believe it was James, the brother of Jesus, who said that faith without works is dead. He said, basically, put into practice what you say you believe or keep quiet. Live this stuff out. It's not meant just to be talked about in this sort of fanciful hallmark kind of way. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to take you on a journey this morning from what it would be to, to not be part of a church to kind of journeying toward becoming a member of a church. Okay, And I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I want you to listen to this passage through the ears of church. Those who are the called out ones, called out individuals, one in Christ. Starting in verse 12. It says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember our conversion sermon a few weeks ago. I mean, way over here. You're a stranger. No hope. You're without God. That's where the Bible puts everyone in that camp. Everyone is born a rebel to God. And then it says this in verse 13. But now in Christ, a fundamental change has happened. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments uh, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul takes several of the biblical metaphors and he crams them into this paragraph right here. We're going to look at some more of that. What a beautiful picture of the church this is. Jesus Christ came and he preached peace. Who were those who were far off? That's people who right now have no religious upbringing whatsoever. They know nothing of the Ten Commandments. They couldn't tell you the Good Samaritan story if you paid them a million bucks to do it. They're far off. They're dead in their sin, and they need reconciliation by the blood of Jesus Christ. And unless they repent and have the saving grace of Jesus poured out on their life, they will remain dead in their sin and suffering the wrath for their sin. Those are people who are far off. How about those who were born and raised in church? Maybe you were born in a hospital, and three days later you were literally in the church nursery. And you almost haven't missed a Sunday yet. Guess what? 
You're dead in your sin. Your parents don't save you. Your church attendance doesn't save you. The fact that you could actually quote the Good Samaritan story in several languages doesn't save you, right? Those are people who are near. These were the Jewish people. They had every freedom in the world, every possibility in the world to partake, and they weren't eating. They were dead in their sin. So Jesus Christ saves those who are far away rebels and those who are close by self-righteous rebels. Praise God, we all get in the same way. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's us coming to a place of saying, I'm a, I'm a sinner absolutely and utterly helpless to save my own self, whether through pleasure or through my own righteousness. I reject all those ways, and I enter by the way of Jesus Christ into salvation. What an amazing picture of the church. Do you see why there's no room for pride, spiritual pride happening in any local church? And there's a song that says, we're all beggars at the foot of the cross. What's great is we're receivers at the foot of the cross. So this is an amazing, beautiful picture of the church. I absolutely love what I get to do. I get to invest my time and my energy into building up the local church, preserving and proclaiming this message of reconciliation. Guess what? I don't get to do that because I'm a pastor. I get to do that because I'm a son of God, my father. So that's your privilege as well. In case you missed this, membership is God's idea. In the Old Testament, you have this called-out people of God who are holy, that is, separate from those around. Remember all those things about not intermarrying with other people and being a called-out separate people? That's called membership. Throughout the New Testament, there are biblical metaphors, and all the biblical metaphors say the same thing. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Join a church, don't just attend one. Join a church, don't just attend one. Let me walk you through some of the biblical metaphors that are used to describe, to kind of help us get our head around what, what's being talked about with the church. The church is a family of God. A family is something you join, not just attend. The church is a flock. A flock is something that you belong to. I remember being in Ethiopia several years ago and watching a shepherd come to this marketplace filled with other shepherds and there were sheep and goats and there was all this chaos and it was phenomenal to watch this shepherd come in and when the Bible says the sheep will hear my voice and they'll know my voice and they'll follow me, they'll come in, there was a jumbled mess of sheep. There's no marking on them whatsoever and when the selling is over, that shepherd would leave and guess what would happen? His specific sheep would come with him. Why? Because they're all part of a flock. They belong to that specific Flock, I'm sitting here across the street marveling, going, wow, what a picture of the church. Churches come together. There's different local congregations that come together. It looks like just a sea of sheep, basically. But when they separate out, there are individual flocks that are there. How about a body? The church is a body. The Bible talks a lot about that. Parts of the body all participate. They aren't there just to attend an event. And don't even get me started on the church as the bride of Christ. You don't attend your own wedding. You participate in that. You become one with the groom. We meet Christ at the altar, which is the cross, and we leave one with him in his church. No one can ever take you, take that away from you. One of the metaphors used is, is God's army. And and I was thinking about, you know, there's recruitment centers around and you could see someone, you know, coming up and saying, Look, I really like dressing up as an army man, 
and I like shooting the whole blanks and stuff. Uh, but the real thing scares me. Um, I just I hate those loud sounds, and I hate being you know actually shot at. So if you're okay with it, I'll just attend on and off for a couple of years. But committing, like really joining, that's not really my thing. So are we cool with that? And the recruitment center would say, right, no, next. It might get shot. I don't even know what happens in that scenario. But that's not how it works, right? You don't just attend the army. Each picture paints this undeniable truth. You don't just attend a church, you join. So here's a question for you. Am I building my life up and into my local church? And if not, and here's my... Here's my just heartfelt question to you. What's stopping me from doing that? There might be some very legitimate reasons as to why you haven't joined a church yet. But what I would say is, don't just put that off. Don't just let that be a checklist thing that you never get to. It may be that for this church, you've not been here long enough. Um, I, I told a story years ago, and this just happened last week, where Gria, when he was first attending the church... He decided, you know, before my family really gets their heartstrings tied into the people here, I'm sensing some good things here. I want to meet with someone in leadership, and I really want to discover sort of their view of God and, and where this church is headed. And so Green and I spent some nice time over coffee. He didn't know coffee was my love language at the time, but now he knows. <laughs> He's not a coffee drinker, so that was a big sacrifice for him. Just last week, someone said, hey, um, Dave, can you make some time? My, my family's been t- attending here for a while. We just, we just want to get to know you a little bit better and kind of, kind of explore some more. It may be that you just haven't been here long enough. That's a really good, valid reason. I actually affirm that. I love this. There's a, there's a couple that left here. Uh, they had to move out of the area. Shocker, it's expensive to live here. And, um, and they just told me this story. I didn't know this. He said, you know, I remembered when you told me that story about Gria. And so when we went to this new church, I went and asked if I could take the pastor out to coffee and just pick his brain before I, I usher my family into this church. And I was just like, yes, good job. It really matters where you go to church. It really matters what family you join into. This is serious work. Good job, Dad. Man, that was awesome. Maybe that you haven't been here long enough. It may be this, official membership doesn't mean much. That could be true from your past experiences. I'm sorry for that. Chances are, I didn't have much to do with that, nor does anyone in our current leadership have much to do with that. I don't think we have a corner on the market with membership. I don't think we're doing it exactly perfect. But the story of this church is we started this church for the first several years without membership. Because we felt convinced you could be a biblically New Testament church without formal membership. But if you read the scriptures, page after page after page of the Bible calls for formal membership. I knew we'd get there one day, but we didn't want to just slap it on as this is how you build a church. Create a membership role that means next to nothing. That's not what membership means here. Maybe for many of you, it's just I really haven't gotten around to it. I think that's a valid logical thing. Like you're just busy people. I hope the scriptures today, I hope it's God telling you to join a church, not me or anyone else in leadership. Exploring membership is a class that we offer. It's, it's genuinely titled, meaning this is just an exploration. Some of you just want to find out what does this church mean when it says the word membership? Next week, we're offering exploring membership after, after church. It's something you can go on the city and RSVP to and say, yeah, I'm in. Some of you already know you want to be members. You've been here long enough. You've had your questions answered. This is a class for you as well. 
Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details that we'll cover next week, but I do want to cover just a couple of highlights. We kind of think of formal membership as having that DTR relationship, that define the relationship, right? Where, where you're, you're dating someone and you're kind of wondering, like, where is this thing going? What, how exactly, you know, what's, what's happening? Are we just dating? Are we friends? Do we keep just going out? Are you thinking you're going to marry me? Like, what are we doing, right? So formal membership, in a way, is, is having that, that define the relationship talk. For congregants, it gives congregants a way to understand who are the one another's that I should be, that I should be doing these things with. Is it the whole church of Santa Clara County or the whole world abstract, right? Or is there a local body that I should be really intentionally pursuing all these one another's that we looked at last week? Uh, when it says that you're to, to submit to your leaders, who, who are your leaders? Um, I listen to, to John Piper. He's a phenomenal pastor out in Minnesota. Is he one of my leaders? Should I submit to him? He has no idea who I am. I've never seen him or met him. Is that who I'm supposed to submit to? Or is there a local church that I should, that I should be listening to and seeking input on my life from and submitting to? It helps clarify those things. Let me let you into the world of some of the, um, the, the elder, elder pastors that we have around here. We see that as one office in, in the scriptures, and we have a plurality of leadership, which means this isn't Dave's church. This is Jesus' church that is led by several male elders. One of the struggles that you would find if you were in our shoes is this, especially for Ben and I who get to be paid full-time to do this. When does your job end? When does a pastor clock out? Who am I supposed to actually be caring for? Friday night, a couple months ago, we had lined up. Let's have a family movie night. We just need some time to just all get our PJs, sit in our massive couch, and all watch our TV and just have a movie night. It's Friday night. So it had been planned for a while. We carved out time. We all sat down. We had the popcorn going. We're watching the movie, and partway through the movie, I get a text. I get a text from someone who said, hey, so-and-so is sick. We're headed to the hospital right now. I texted my wife, and, and now, now again, put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Um, Friday is my day off, and so do I just say, well, bummer, I'm <laughs> sorry I went to the hospital on my day off, but it's my day off. That may be a legitimate way to carve out boundaries. That's not how I do it. I looked at that, and I thought, I have a choice to make. Do I interrupt family movie time, or do I minister to this person who's reaching out for help? What do you do? I know some of you go, well, you go, you, go, you go help the person. Or some of you go, no, 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 you stay with your family and minister to them first. It's, it's tough, right? What if this happens every night on my day off? It, it, it could become something of a, of a huge sore spot. Here's my thought process in this. I looked at that text. This person was a member of our church. They have covenanted together with Neighborhood Bible Church. I texted my wife. I let her know who it was. And I just said, as I called them back, are you cool with, you know, with, with me going and helping? And she, in a heartbeat, said, absolutely. You know what made that super easy and clear for me? Membership. Not just, not just I've, I've sort of attended for a while. Because honestly, there would be literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the last 10 years who've just come through this building that would have free access to interrupt any and all points of all of our leadership's time. And we would have no ability to sort of discern and prioritize and say who, who should get our time and who shouldn't. 
So that's, that's one of the things it does. It helps clarify when the scriptures say, you're going to be held accountable, shepherd, for how you shepherded the flock that is among you. Who's the flock? Lord, help me. Without formal membership, that gets really mind-boggling. It's really stressful. All right, enough on that. Uh, you aren't done once you join a church. That's really only the beginning. Once you become a member, you participate as a member. No one is happy to just be in as a Christian without living the life of a Christian. You know why? The Holy Spirit that, that comes into our life at the rebirth wouldn't leave us in that state. I think if you're just happy to be in with zero concern of living the Christian life, you're not a Christian yet. So it is with membership. You're not content just to say, phew, my name's on a roll. Now I know if I die, they have to do my funeral. Right? That's not, that's not the reason. That's a dumb reason. I think that's all membership is at a lot of churches. I mean, really. I get to vote once a year and, and they'll, I guess they'll do my funeral for a discounted rate. I don't know. I don't know why I'm a member. Um, you, you participate as a member. You don't just be one. One of the things that, that I love is this definition of a local church. Uh, and I meant to put this in your, um, in your bulletin so you wouldn't have to memorize it. It's kind of lengthy. But it's, it's from a book called Vintage Church, but it's really from Acts 2. And it says this, a local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are unified by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. This is sitting in our exploring membership content. This is what we start with when we do the exploring membership class because we want to define what are we talking about when we're talking about a church. Here's why I bring it up this morning. I want you to note all of the participation words that are in here for members of a local church. Confess, organize, gather, observe, are unified, are disciplined, are scattered. When you're a member of a church, when you join a church, it is a participating kind of thing. It's easy enough to get into a rut of saying, look, Dave can kind of speak okay. The band sings mostly on key. We'll just kind of let them do stuff. I'll just kind of come and participate. I actually get that. I really do. Uh, We can get into a rut of just kind of letting other people do things. If I'm ever putting out that vibe or the leadership is putting out that vibe, that's not what we want. That is not what we want. Just let the paid experts do it. The band's going, paid what? Um, that, that's how church sort of devolves in, in Western culture. A lot of it can, can just be like that. That is not the vibe we're trying to give off. I want you to notice sort of the identity components. Look in blue. A community of missionaries. Man, that's what we are. That's what we are as members of a church. We're a community of missionaries. There's a lot of stuff in those two words. We looked at community last week and all the biblical stuff of that. And we're missionaries. We have a mission. We have a really clear goal that we're, that we're pointing toward. So what does it look like to get in and build up the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood and he promises to sustain? As members, we're to attend, we're to love, we're to give sacrifice, we're to serve, we're to submit. These are all biblical themes. In a word, we are to participate. 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and following is a passage I often read at a wedding. A lot of times those who are married will read this because they're wrangling through, what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? What does it mean for a husband to love his wife? Marriage is hard. There's a lot of felt need week after week after week. So we search the scriptures for that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to discipline yourself this morning, especially if you're married or thinking of getting married or have been married. I want you to read this passage through the lens of of what it means to be the church and not about your relationship. By the way, Christian marriage is meant to be a reflection of something much grander than just those two people. So listen to this with an emphasis, with an ear toward Christ and the church rather than husband and wife, okay? I wanted to start in verse 15 because it sets up really well some things. It says this, Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to take that from sort of an overarching thing. We, the church, are to submit to one another, what? Out of worship to God. Out of fear of God. God, we understand you've designed things a certain way. It doesn't matter if we feel like submitting to one another. We're going to do it because we, we revere you. We worship you. Now he's going to zoom into the home. But again, listen to how much is talked about for the church. Wives, verse 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. little different lens when you're not thinking about your own personal marriage and this week's current dilemma, right? That's a grand picture of the church. When you think about each of the biblical metaphors, it shows off sort of a new and glorious layer of of a mystery of this thing we call the church. Think about the family. When you think about the church as a family, doesn't it increase our love and our nurture and our protection of one another? Doesn't it remind us that we all have the same father? 
And there's a lot of rich teaching in us being a family here together. How about branches as part of the vine? That's a biblical metaphor for the church, right? That tells us to rest in him fully and expect growth, expect production. Healthy things grow, but healthy things also go through a life cycle where there's production and then there's pruning that goes on, right? And then the ground lays still for a bit so it can replenish and there's new production going on. You could look at the life cycle of a church and say that very same thing. In this building, several churches have gone through a life cycle. We are in a newer growth cycle of, of what of what is going on at this local church. How about the church as a temple? We, we saw this in our passage today. Uh, the, the, the church is, is, a, is a living house of God built with living stones, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. It reminds us and makes us keenly aware that God's very presence is here. The dwelling place of God is now in the living stones that together form the house of God. And then infuse your worship and your singing and what you're doing right now, receiving the word of God with something different than just we're here to hear a speech and sing a few songs together. The Bible talks about the church as a body. It instructs us to remain interdependent on one another. It tells us to cooperate. It tells us to separate, to, to celebrate kneecaps and toenails and livers that look and smell funny to us. And we don't think they belong, but they're vital, important parts to us. The church is described as a bride. Does not the metaphor of the church as the bride of Christ with Jesus being our groom warm our affection for Jesus? It also stirs us toward purity. It stirs us toward submitting and following Him. It stirs us to be devoted to Him alone and have eyes for no one else but Jesus alone. By not fixating on only one of the biblical metaphors, it's easy to discern that the church is really a glorious mystery. It's not contained in a little simple definition. It's not contained in a simple booklet that kind of describes things. The church is glorious and mysterious and wonderful, and we've not yet reached the edges of it. Reminds me of this song by Bebo Norman. He says, I want a crumb, but you are a feast. I want a song, but you are a symphony. I want a star, but you are a galaxy. So it is with the church, friends. Don't, don't hear in my proclamation that we have the church all figured out and fits in this neat box that we can somehow contain. We are, we are filled with wonder as we walk and try to discern, God, what is it that you have for us? It's wonderful, it's mysterious, and I guarantee you we've not got, we've, we've not arrived yet. But we're hopeful. So be a member, as in live as a member, don't just be a member, as in being a member in name only. If at the end of this sermon you want to explore membership, again, next Sunday, come to Exploring Membership class. Maybe you're wondering what that's even about. Come have a conversation with someone in leadership. Ask one of your community group leaders, hey, I'm I'm curious about these aspects of, of membership. Can you help me out a little bit? Let me show you the process very quickly for Neighborhood Bible Church of what of what our process is. I'm not usually into putting everything with the start of one letter, but it kind of worked out for our membership process, okay? So here's a bunch of C's so you can remember this. First is it's really important that all members are Christians. We wanted to just lay that out there really openly, really bluntly, that that's what, that's what a church is made of. It's made of regenerated people. Next is... Um, 
that there's a class. This is required for membership because we recognize there's a ton of baggage that we all bring into the membership discussion from past hurts and past things, much of it unbiblical. So we want to just do a class to say, here's what we mean at Neighborhood Bible Church when we're talking about membership so we can all be on the same page. It's also a time for you to get to know the, the doctrine, the philosophy, a little bit of the staff of the church and all of that. Next is a conversation. You've attended the class. You think, I want to pursue. What do I do next? You have a conversation with one of our elders. Now, that doesn't need to feel like coming, you know, getting called into the principal's office. It's nothing like that. It's a conversation. That implies there's kind of a back and forth. Here's what we want to do as leadership. We want to have a conversation with you. We want to, we want to confirm that you're a member. No one can tell another person, you're a sheep, you're a goat. That's for God to decide. However, I want to hear your testimony. I want to hear what it means to be a Christian. If you say what it means to be a Christian is be a super good person most days of the week and then hope and plead that God someday, one house, somehow forgives me at the end, you're not a Christian. I want to share the gospel with you. If you just share, man, I'm a Christian, here's what it means to me, uh, and we have a conversation, again, it's an opportunity for us to kind of see that and share a few things back and forth. Next, we have a covenant. A covenant is a part of the membership that you sign to covenant to these things. We lay that out really clearly. And the the leadership signs and says, we covenant to do these things as well. We live in a culture where if it matters, you write it down. You, you put it in writing if it matters. And membership really matters to us. And so we do this, this covenant uh, signing. The next step is just a celebration. A celebration is just bringing people up front and saying, hey, we celebrate that, that these are new members. We're not being hidden about it. It's not a secret thing. If that freaks you out to no end, my someone close to me that I'm married to, she did not want to take public speaking class at West Valley College. I mean, she would rather have done almost anything except take that public speaking class. Now, if membership... And and getting up here for that celebration point, even if you don't have to say anything, if that freaks you out so incredibly much, guess what? Don't say, I won't say this publicly, but we'll let you off the hook. You don't have to be up here in front of people to become a member. We don't want just extroverts in our church, okay? We care about you two who would almost rather die than stand up here and just be, hey, this is part of our membership. So, yeah, for a couple of years, this, this was our process. Maybe one year. And one year into it, the, the leadership realized something. There's, a, there's, a, there's one more C that is absolutely and vitally important to this whole thing. Here it is. The last C in membership is continue. Keep going. Don't just be committed in this season of time. I heard some scriptures. The pastor seemed super excited about it. I went to a membership class. Next thing you know, I was a member. Woo-hoo! And then six months later, you're just in a routine of coming and letting other people do stuff. And you kind of wonder at some point, what's my discount for my funeral? That's all you think about. There's no, I don't know why I'm coming back to that. Continue in membership. So this is the last part of the journey. Continue in membership. Don't just coast. Think about wedding vows. How important are wedding vows? Hugely important. What's more important? That you live them out every day of the rest of your life. Think about a rental car agreement, right? Super important that you have an agreement. More important that it's fulfilled, that what's put in writing actually takes place at a later date. So it is with membership. What you sign after a class, after a conversation is really important. But man, the fact that you continue in this and don't just coast is even more important. 
In a few short weeks, Becky and I, along with the Chows, which is incredibly exciting, will be jumping on a plane to China. And we will sign our names and make a vow before a legal entity for both the Chinese government and the U.S. government. And it will be legally binding as we add two new people to our family. It's so powerful that a little bit of ink scrawled on a piece of paper carries such incredible weight. We will be asked these questions. Do you promise to never abandon this child, these children? Do you promise to give them naming rights and inheritance rights? Do you promise to treat them as if they were biologically your very own? And my wife will tear up and start crying as she says, I do. I've seen this before. It's really moving. It's really powerful. Like, of course we won't. Of course we commit to that. Yes, that's what it means to bring someone into our family. Membership is a little bit like this. There are a ton of your kids who come through my house and they eat my food, they play my board games, they sleep on my couch, and they drive around in my car, hopefully when I'm driving, not them. (laughs) I'm kind to them. I really enjoy their company. But it's crystal clear at the end of the day who my own children are, right? Why? Because there's actually writing for everyone who's in my family, whether they've come in biologically or through adoption. There are written documents, actually, that say birth certificate, adoption certificate. These are your kids. These are who you're accountable to. I know at the end of every single day, I can offer advice, I can care, I can reach out, I can feed, I can nurture, but, but my children are the ones I will be held accountable to as to how I shepherded them, as to how I led them, as to how I nurtured and provided for them. So it is with formal membership. There's a clarity that is provided that says, yes, we are linking arms. We are covenanting together in this. The elders at this church try to keep focused on a couple of really clear things. Uh, Three Ds. I guess I do like letters that stick together. Keep it really simple. Number one is doctrine. The elders are to steer the doctrine of the church. They're to guard the doctrine. They're to, they're to contend for the faith. The second one is direction. They are the leaders of the church. They're the ones focused on that. We're not making the decisions of whether we go hot dogs, pizza, or vegan at the, at the picnic. That's not our job. We're not going to devolve into that kind of thing. We're going to talk about doctrine. We're going to talk about direction. And the last one is discipline. And I wanted to spend just a, a moment here on discipline Because the first two, I think, are fairly self-explanatory, but the third one often causes frustration, confusion, and misunderstanding. As a disciple-making entity, all churches discipline. All biblical churches discipline. Now, the overwhelming tone of discipline in the church is positive in nature. It's formative discipline. It's teaching, encouragement, modeling, visitations, coaching, accountability, etc., etc. But... What about the painful side of discipline? God has given the church the authority and the responsibility to discipline. Now hear this. Memberless churches who gather together have a harder time fulfilling certain portions of Scripture than churches that have formal membership. There's community and unity on the one hand, and it has a counterpart of exclusion and disfellowship, church discipline. Now, before you start having a heart attack, let me just clarify a couple things. 
Church discipline is needed when a member is unrepentant and living in clear sin. Remember the concrete thinking at the beginning? Definitions are really, really important here. Needed is important in that statement. Member is important in that statement. Unrepentant is important in that statement. And sin is really important in that statement. Church discipline is done out of concern for the soul of the sinner and for the health of the church. Church discipline is always meant for restoration, for correction, not for vengeance. God's job is for that. That's not anyone in the church's job. And finally, church discipline requires courageous love for God, courageous love for others, and I would add an unwavering commitment that God's provided the scriptures to steer us as a church. Guess what? This is why many churches will never talk about church discipline. They won't do it. They won't exercise it. Someone could live in blatant, unrepentant sin, be a member of the church, and no one will say anything about it. You do not love your children if you don't discipline them, if you don't lovingly correct them when they are running for the street. So it is with God's family. To not act when one's sin when, when one is living in gross sin, has been confronted, has been disciplined, remains unrepentant, is to disobey a host of teaching from the Holy Scriptures. And it's to put the whole church in the path of God's discipline. See, Revelation in the church at Thyatira. I want to invite the band up right now. And as they do come up, I want to just say one more thing, and that is some just sort of nitty-gritty practical things. Every local church has its own beliefs that they gather around, but also their own culture, their own flavor to things. It's really important when you're joining a church and when you're thinking of aligning yourself with the church that you do so not just with their doctrinal statement, but also with the strategy that God has put on the hearts of the, of the, of the leadership. If you think about um, all churches, all biblical churches are to go and make disciples. We're all disciple-making entities. No one should really have a different mission than that. Let's just say that that mission is represented by New York City, okay? So all churches are heading to New York City. You would agree with me. Here's the strategy. Here's the how. Here's how different local congregations look and feel and sound. So very different, even though they're all headed to New York City. Some churches are doing that by air travel. They're taking an airplane to New York City. You would agree that if you're on a church that's, that's airplane travel, that's going to look a little bit different than those who are taking a boat to New York City, right? Which means that you're going this way down through the Panama Canal and getting over here on this way. And you'd say that's totally different than those who are taking a road trip, and that's totally different than those who are taking a bike with Pastor John Garza, right? So here's the deal. If you're at a church... And you say, I agree with the doctrine. The doctrine of all these churches may be exactly the same, but the strategy, the how, the culture of it will feel so different if you're on a road trip and you're expecting air travel. Chances are you will feel constantly frustrated by leadership and not know what it is. I agree with their doctrinal statement. Why am I so frustrated by everyone there? Chances are you may be frustrating people around you, right? Because you're sitting there going, you know, why is... Why is there no movie and why aren't they serving the drinks and the little snacks yet? I mean, this is air travel. Come on. And we're on a road trip and we keep stopping for gas every once in a while. 
So when you join a church, make sure that as you join, you're not just, you're not just joining for the sound doctrine that, that is there, but sort of that, that more nebulous culture vibe strategy that is going on at the church. We're going to move into a time right now of communion. We believe this is part of what it means to be a local church is just to, to celebrate what Jesus told us to celebrate. And one of the things, one of the sacraments, one of the celebrations is communion. And as a third Sunday of the month, we always do it at least on the third Sunday, but it's a marvelous time of coming together. When we participate in this in faith, it is a means of shared grace. It's a, it's a means of grace that we get to experience together. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 10, which says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Man, what we're doing right now as communion, by the way, is for members and non-members. This is for the church of God. This is not neighborhood Bible church's table. This is the Lord's table. So I want to be crystal clear on that. If you are not a Christian, this will be a meaningless religious activity. We would invite you just to pass it on. If you are a Christian, you're a part of God's, God's big C church, and whether you're a member here or not, man, you take and join in and participate in what we're doing with communion. Let me pray. God, I pray that as we share around this celebration called communion, that we would not do so lightly, that we would marvel at the wonder of what it is to be made one, to be brought near by the blood of Christ. God, as we tangibly taste concrete actual physical things. We thank you, Lord, for baptism's water and the taste of communion that takes abstract ideas and puts them in our stomach. It lets it so our skin can feel it, God. We thank you for your wisdom in doing that. And God, as we sing, I pray we would do so from the heart, that it would be joyful from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen.